Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, and you're listening to Off the Course, our monthly podcast about anything and everything beyond your work on the course. My guest this month is Justin Van Landewit, a nearly three-decade veteran of the industry, if you go back to when he started mowing the nine-hole course across the street when he was a sixth grader. He worked at Green Gables Country Club and Cherry Hills Country Club outside Denver. Later, he worked at the Ivanhoe Club and for 12 years, the Briarwood Country Club on the north side of Chicago. He walked away from the industry in late December and moved from Chicagoland to northwest Arkansas after living and battling for the last six or seven years with fascio-scapulohumeral dystrophy. It's a form of muscular dystrophy. And over the next about an hour, we talk about his transition from a very demanding job and life to not really having so much to do in his days. How do you fill your days in a new state, a new home? Your wife has a new job. You finally get to see your kids a little bit more. You finally get to see your dog a little bit more, but your dog doesn't get to run around a golf course all day. It's a great conversation. I love talking with him. I hope you enjoy the conversation, whether you've talked with him in the past or not. Great, great guy and a great advocate for the industry and a great advocate for the muscular dystrophy fight and awareness as well. Before we get into that conversation, a quick word of thanks to our sponsor for Off the Course, AquaAid Solutions. AquaAid Solutions has been a leader in innovative solutions for 36 years, so about six years longer than Justin worked in the industry. AquaAid Solutions' desire to lead and innovate for turf managers continues with their current research collaboration with Dr. Jim Brosnan of the University of Tennessee and Phenotype Screen Corporation. Through that collaboration, utilizing x-ray technology, turf managers are provided a definitive look into how worm-powered turf provides a more robust root system that has more mass and deeper roots than a plant not exposed to the product. Visit I Want Deep Roots. Again, IWantDeepRoots.com. All one word, the letter I, WantDeepRoots.com, to see the groundbreaking research and the value worm-powered turf brings to your agronomic program. Again, thanks to AquaAid Solutions. On to Off the Course and Justin Van Landwitt. My guest today on Off the Course, Justin Van Landewitt. He worked in the industry for nearly 30 years, started out as a sixth grader, making about $100 a week at the nine-hole course across the street from his home. Later on, in a more career-oriented scope, he worked at Green Gables Country Club and Cherry Hills Country Club, those both outside Denver. Later at Ivanhoe and uh, Briarwood Country Club most recently, those both on the north side of Chicago. He was at Briarwood for 12 years, the bulk of those running the show, most recently as director of grounds. He developed there. He became a father there. And a few years ago, he received the medical news that eventually ended, or maybe it's just a break, who knows, uh, but eventually caused a, a break in his turf career. Justin diagnosed in 2013 with fascio-scapulohumeral 
dystrophy. That's a uh, form of muscular dystrophy. Most commonly causes weakness of the face and the upper arms and the shoulders, caused by a degeneration of muscle uh, because of a missing chromosome in the genes. Justin, you retired from the industry in December, and just as big of a move, you packed up uh, you and your wife, Erin, and, and your two daughters from Chicagoland to Northwest Arkansas, and that's where you are now. You're talking from the back porch before anything else, before we talk about golf or your Turf Tank Foundation or living with FSH, muscular dystrophy. What has it been like going from the hustle and bustle of the north side of Chicago to Northwest Arkansas, which is a great place, just not the millions and millions and millions of people right on the shores of Lake Michigan. It's, you know, it's kind of it's kind of going back home. I grew up in central Illinois in a, in a small town, so it's a lot of rural area, and that's what northwest Arkansas is a lot of. You have Bentonville, Fayetteville, um, Rogers, which is, is kind of the triangle that, that we're a part of here in northwest Arkansas, but... Uh, we're kind of out in the country a little bit, a little town called Cave Springs. But, yeah, it's it's been weird in the fact that we moved in. I got down here the last week in January, and then the wife and the kids got here the first week in February. And so we we're trying to get the house settled and everything. And then literally about a month and a week later is when COVID started. So... You go from moving to a new area to basically being in a new area and really not being able to communicate or reach out to anybody because everything, for the most part, was shut down. So that was that that was that was even a, a bigger adjustment, I think, in just the move. Is is at one point I looked at my wife, and she was obviously going to the office and socializing with her coworkers and everything else, and I had the four-legged kid and the two two-legged kids. That was my socialization. And so it, it, it was it, it was quite an adjustment there really at the beginning. But now that things are getting back to normal somewhat, it's, it's getting better. But I think the more time that I've been away from Chicago, it, it's been easier to adjust. And it's, it's so nice to not have to sit in 45-minute traffic everywhere you go. 45 is like the bare minimum for anyone yeah, in Chicago yeah. land. Yep. And before we get into what prompted the move west, when when Aaron and the, the girls arrived in Arkansas, had you even had a chance to set up anything like daycare or just kind of setting up some of the new staples in life, or was it just they got there and you're in quarantine now with with two kids and a dog? Yeah, we we were able to get everything for the most part set up. My wife, she had started her job um, just after Thanksgiving. So she was actually working out of the Chicago office the month of December. And then once we rolled into the new year, she was traveling down here to the to Tyson's home office in Springdale. And as she was down here for for like three or four days a week, she was already starting going to visit daycares and stuff like that to kind of get all that set up. Because as we learned living in, in Chicago, you just can't walk into a daycare and automatically have your kid accepted. There's waiting lists and stuff like that. So 
she she was very proactive in looking at schools and we actually all of them that were already established were full so there was a new uh, goddard school that was just getting built and they were going to be opening the first part of february and we were able to get the kids into that brand new school which it's been really nice the facilities top notch and 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 the kids really they've they've transitioned nicely going there so it was i'm very fortunate that she was able to get down here ahead of time and kind of get all that stuff set up and we were fortunate that well we actually we put an offer in on a house without either of us even walking in it we had a realtor kind of walk through do a facetime showing and once she got done we both kind of looked at each other and like what do you think we put an offer in on it and ended up getting it accepted <laughs> this is the level of organization and quick decision making that i think a lot of people would expect from a longtime turf pro and an army veteran uh, your wife being mm-hmm. the army veteran this is this is an impressive duo here for for decision making <laughs> and, and planning an organization yep yep yeah, we don't we don't beat around the bush too much on decisions. It's either we do it or we don't. And that is a definite pro tip to anybody listening. Uh, I know we have a lot of younger uh, turf pros who listen to this. If you do not have a kid, because your girls are, are they four and one now? Yeah, the one the the youngest the youngest will be two at the end of August, okay. and the oldest will be five at the end of October. Actually, oh. August twenty second and October twenty second. Okay. So at almost five and almost two, like if you have a child on the way, you need to go to a daycare or a school months in advance, like second trimester, preferably. Yep. In most cities. Yes. So what prompted the move from Chicago to Arkansas? Was it Aaron's job with Tyson? No, it was last June. Let's see. It would have been, yeah, 2019. So June 2019, I was like at my low of lows. I was just mentally and physically like exhausted. We had just, we were going through an irrigation renovation. Um, obviously 12 years at the club, we'd done a lot of stuff there. And, and I was always the type that I, you always look at the winter to recharge the batteries. And I think you could ask a lot of people that followed me on Twitter. There was really no downtime in the winter for us we just kept going with with tree removal and and drainage and everything else so i I really never like took that time to to kind of get back to full health and with with my disease the as i explained to a member one day after the news had come out what was taking place they asked me kind of explain it to them in layman's terms and i said take your cell phone and you have your Wi-Fi, your Bluetooth, your apps and stuff like that are running, they're all pulling battery. So that's where my muscles that, I'm, that I've lost durability in, they're always pulling energy. Um, just holding my head up is, is strenuous for myself because I've lost so much muscle in my shoulders and my neck um, that I, I get exhausted pretty quick. And so... I, I just said with the cell phone analogy, if, you, if you're using your phone a lot and you've got all these things running, by mid part of the day, you need to put that phone back on the charger to get it through the rest of the day. That's how I am physically. If, if I don't take some time to kind of rest, then I just 
my fatigue just gets worse. And at the end of the day, I, I was going home and literally like walking in the door and looking at Aaron and saying, I got to go lay down. And I'd literally go lay down at like five thirty, six o'clock and end up falling asleep. And then I'd wake up at three thirty, four o'clock when the alarm would go off to go back to work the next day. Whereas going back to the phone analogy, my phone was never getting recharged. So I wasn't getting recharged. So then you string a number of those days together and I'd get to the point where I don't, it would have been best for me to just take two days of doing nothing and just chill. But obviously, you know, in this industry, that doesn't happen. So we, we got to June of last year and, and I seriously contemplated a leave of absence in the, in the spring, but with the way that the weather went in May and June of, of 2019, and we're trying to get the irrigation project done, we didn't finish it till the Tuesday after Father's Day. Mm. And by the time that got done, here I am thinking, oh, I need to take some time. But literally the next week we had member guests. And then the week after that's 4th of July. And then the, then it just event after event. And I'm just, I just, I, I can't, I, I don't have the ability to just take any time right now. So I just kept going and going and Aaron could see it in me. And I, I just, I just wasn't there. I was non, I was a non-participant at home. Um, just basically going through the motions. What, so a few days I'd stay at home to get the kids to school just so I could see the kids. Um, cause I, I'd be, I'd be asleep before they even get home from daycare. So it just, we, we sat down and we really started to talk about where I was mentally and physically. And we both kind of came to the agreement that we needed to really find a different path if possible. And it wasn't much after that, that she had gotten a phone call from a recruiter, which she'd gotten numbers of phone calls from recruiters because she's done phenomenal in her, in her career. And her resume speaks for itself with her, her education history and, and her service for our country and everything else. And I just looked at her and I'm like, you know what? You've always said no, because I couldn't leave and kind of transition from my position to an equal position in another place easily. Um, so we'd always just said we're, we're grounded in Chicago. That's where we're going to stay. And so she came down for, for an interview and came home and she's like, you know, I think it went pretty good, but it's, it's, it's a level way above like where I'm at right now. And at that time I went and I'd seen my neurologist and we started talking about where I was with my physical and mental health. And she's kind of hinting to me that I need to take some time. Otherwise, if I keep going, then this disease is going to end up taking over my life. And I'm going to be, heck, I just turned 40 last summer. I turned 41 here in July. She's like, Justin, you'll be lucky to make it to 50 and, and be able to function. And I, I started thinking about my kids and, and where I was in my life and what I'd been able to do. And, and the fact that this disease has already taken a lot away from me, um, not to, not knowing what else it's going to take away in the future. And so Aaron and I, we just kind of made, made the decision together that we would look at our options. And at that point, the neurologist basically just told me, she's like, Justin, you need to stop. And basically right at that point too, Aaron and Tyson had gotten back to her 
and given her an offer and we both kind of looked at each other and like it, it was kind of a blessing um that the stars kind of aligned perfectly to where i was able to kind of get away uh to focus on myself a little bit and she was able to then keep climbing the ladder in her career because she'd always been held back because of me and that kind of prompted us uh to make the decision to come on down to sacrifice your career whether i mean obviously it was the right decision physically and mentally for you it sounds like but to sacrifice your career for hers huge huge move um and and ending you know 20 or 30 years really in the industry you sound like you're at peace you sound certainly rested mentally and physically but what were some of the emotions like in the second half of last year from june until i think you were still at briarwood wrapping stuff up into december or really early january right yeah i finished up at briarwood my last day was december 27th um it was it's it's been hard um because golf's been all i've known i started playing golf when i was eight my grandparents taught me the game because they lived in the house that we eventually moved into across from the golf course. So I started playing the game when I was eight, played high school golf, played in college. Um, I ultimately got my job at the golf course there in Walnut, Illinois, because Steve Wolf, who was the superintendent at the time, he knew me from being out there every day playing that uh, I was mowing the grass at the house today and, he comes across and says, hey, you want a summer job? I was like, doing what? He's like, mowing grass, what you're doing right now. And so I just started there. And to, to kind of walk away from, as, as I told Aaron, as we were trying to make the decision, I was at the pinnacle of my career for the most part. We fight all, every, everybody in the industry. We, our goal is to become a superintendent, and it's so hard to get there. And I was, I was fortunate to have many mentors along the line that stuck their neck out for me, um, gave me their time, gave me their knowledge, and, and I just ran with it. And I was, heck, I became superintendent at Briarwood when I was 28 years old. And that was, I remember sitting in the interview at uh, Briarwood and the president at the time, Michael Solo, one of the questions was, he's like, so what are your goals? And my answer to him was, well, I'm going to have to read redo my goals because I never imagined that I'd be considered for a superintendent job one at 28 and also at a pretty prominent North Shore country club in Chicago at the age of 28. So that, that was kind of, I I had to kind of sit down and reevaluate where I was and, and where I wanted to go. And ultimately to be there for 12 years and, I was fortunate they they were very supportive. They gave me the tools that I needed to succeed. They gave me the staff that I needed to succeed. And to ultimately have to almost give that up because of something that I would rather not have, I I would love to still be on the golf course today. It's like, heck, I'm literally, as as we're talking, I just moved the sprinkler in my yard because I top-dressed my yard yesterday. You never stop. I'm water, yeah. So I'm watering in the sand. So I, I, I would, I would love to still be on the golf course, but it, 
the, the disease and, and, and trying to be a superintendent was just taken too much away from, from me to actually live my life and, and to be a, a dad and, and to be a, a good husband. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a really hard transition for me. Um, that, yeah, I've, I've talked to some mental health specialists, my anxieties, kind of gotten the best of me at times because you always sit here and you second guess, you know, did I make the right decision? Um, even though the, the, the doctors are saying you need to do this, you need to do this. Um, and, and obviously I follow their lead, but it's just, it's, it's kind of, did I make the right decision at the right time? Did we, did we make the right decision as a family? So you start second guessing it a little bit as I sit here at home with really not a whole lot to do. Um, you just you start you start getting in that wormhole and you just start going down. Um, but at the end, it's it's like you said, I, I sound rested, and it's it's funny that we're doing this this week because this past weekend we went up to Table Rock Lake in uh, Branson, Missouri, and that's really kind of the first weekend getaway that I've taken in the like summer season from like. May 1st through middle of September and to, to see the joy in my kids' faces and to, to sit there and, and not think about what's going on at the golf course as I'm away. And the youngest, she didn't want to go to bed on Saturday night, so she was up till probably 11.30 at night, so I'm walking around the hotel with her trying to get her to fall asleep. And in the past, I would have been sitting there thinking about, okay, it's 11 o'clock. we got to be up at 7 o'clock, so I'm going to get X amount of hours of sleep. And tomorrow, so I'd be calculating how much sleep I'd be hoping to get and then wondering what kind of position I'd be in come Monday. And I didn't have to think about that. I could just enjoy every minute as it came, and, and that's what it was. So this, this last weekend was a really good kind of, getaway and eye-opener for myself as to what the new life is and how much enjoyment that I can have if I, if I let myself do that and if my body allows me to do that. You're 41 next month. This was the first summer getaway, the first summer vacation since high school, middle school maybe? Uh, obviously in when I was in, in middle school and high school, I had camps and stuff like that to where I wasn't necessarily full, full summer on weekends and stuff like that. I, I would say probably in the last, let me think here, going back to probably 98, my first year out of high school. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, so 20, 22 years. And COVID-19, social distancing, and, and who knows what, what happens in the rest of the summer, but any other summer getaway plans just to for the four of you to really refresh and, and get together as a family and just kind of enjoy this, this new ability to have summer weekends together? You know, we don't we don't really have any definite plans. It's even like on uh, this past weekend, we literally booked a hotel driving there on Friday. <laughs> nice. My wife, my wife on Thursday, she's kind of like, "Hey, what do you say we go up to Table Rock?" I looked at her, I'm like, "I don't have nothing to do. Let's do it." <laughs> so, 
So, so it's, it's just, it's, it's nice to be able to just look at the weather on Thursday. And if it's going to be nice, uh, Arkansas has got some great nature down here, a little, whether it's rivers for float trips. I love Jeeps. They got some awesome off-road trails and stuff like that, that we can just pick up and go last minute. Whereas before it was, it was always very calculated around the, the golf schedule at the club. Um, and then again, you make plans and you get bad weather. And next thing you know, I'm looking at my wife, like, I can't go. I got, I got to go into the club. We just had three inches of rain. And granted, it's, it's one of those things that there's really nothing you can do when you get the three inches of the rain, except just let time kind of let things subside. But the unfortunate thing is we're in an industry where appearance means a lot that if you have three inches of the rain and you're not around, you got people looking at you like, okay, what's going on here? Why isn't there anybody here? So it's, it was always, I always felt that I needed to be at the club probably a lot more than I actually needed to be. But that, I guess that was, I was probably my own worst enemy in, in some instances. But it's, it's nice now to be able to just pick up at the last minute and go and not worry about a golf course or, or, or greens burning up or making sure the irrigation turned on and ran. So, so many of those things that you're always hoping takes place. Our January cover story was the state of the industry, and there were a lot of work and personal questions in there, like hours worked and consecutive days worked, especially down the stretch the last couple of years at Briarwood. How many hours a week were you averaging? What were your longest stretches of days without a day off? You know, would you go in three hours here or there just on a Sunday to check in? Like, like what percentage of your time was spent at the course compared to home? Oh, gosh, I would say I was probably averaging 60 to 65 hours a week. Um, and that's that's usually from middle of May through the middle part of September. And then my longest stretch in the last couple of years, I think this last, in 2019, there was one stretch where I did, heck, 30 I think it was like 30 days in a row that I was at the golf course. And granted, like you said, they, they weren't eight, they, they weren't eight hour days, but it's, as I explained to somebody just waking up at three 30 in the morning is exhausting within itself. But I, I would get up and on Sunday mornings, usually my assistant and I, I would do Saturdays with the crew and he would do Sundays, but I would always wake up on Sunday anyway, cause it's just the internal alarm clock and, there's nothing to do. Nobody's open. There's my kids are still sleeping. So I would just go get in the truck and take the dog and we would go walk around the golf course to just check on things. And I always like to go in on Sunday afternoons too, to just kind of refocus my mind to get ready for the next week to kind of see where the golf course is at and, and make any necessary last minute decisions that we needed to do on maintenance Monday, whether it was a spa day for the greens or whether it was a, a fungicide app, um, anything like that. So I, I, I would make those decisions granted within myself that I probably didn't need to, but it just made me feel more comfortable that I was ahead of the game instead of behind it. You said a minute ago that just getting up at 3.30 is exhausting. I don't get up at 3.30 as a writer and editor. Like the, the 
earliest I'll get up is maybe six if it's going to be really hot and I go for a run. You're predisposed to get up that early anyway, but how much more exhausting was getting up at 3.30 with FSH and not ever really being able to recharge the batteries too? Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> it was, there was many days where the alarm would go off, and I was usually really good about just getting up as soon as the first alarm went off, but the last couple of years I was hitting snooze more and more to eventually where it's kind of like, oh, crap, i got to get out of bed because I'm not going to be there. Normally, I always like to get there 30 minutes or so before the crew just uh, to kind of get a good feel for where things were at. Um, but it, it was getting harder and harder as time went on. And my muscles, like getting up in the morning, I'd be walking to the shower like I was an 80-year-old man. It was, it was brutal. Um, and, and that was... That was kind of one of the things, too, that I, I always said to my assistants that the day that I either can't find a way to improve the golf course or the day that I'm not, I don't enjoy waking up in the morning to come to work is the day that I need to move on and either do something else or go to another course. And unfortunately, my health had gotten to the point where I wasn't enjoying getting up because I just didn't have the energy to do it. And that, that just kind of led me to one, not really enjoying what I was doing, and it just it just brought a whole lot of other mental mental things into the game other than just physical. You've packed a lot into the last five and a half months since your last official day at Briarwood, and as you said, moving to Northwest Arkansas right before a pandemic, you haven't really been able to settle into new routines of new place and new life, but once everything kind of opens up a little bit more, once you're able to do a little bit more outside of the house, what what is your day going to look like, do you think? Oh, well, right now I I take the kids to school every day, pick them up every day, so that's already kind of built into the routine. But it's, it's I'm kind of like the, the stay-at-home dad. <laughs> so it's, it's it once, once the wife goes back to work, because she's been working from home, since I think May 7th or March 17th was the first day she worked from home. And they're looking at, she may not go back to the office till maybe early August, if not later. But uh, I, I, I really don't even know what my routine will be. And that was when, when all this went on, every, a lot of people were like, so how's it going to be and everything else? And my answer was, you know, I don't even know. It's going to be trial by fire that I'm going to have to get down there and and, and just kind of see how things go. And, and I really haven't been able to do that yet because of the pandemic. It's just kind of, it's, I'm just kind of floating along here. And, and as things get opened up, it's, I, I haven't played golf in a couple of years, but they just opened a top golf. And I bought my daughter a set of us kids starter clubs. So I just looked at her and I'm like, you know what, I'll just start taking you over there in the afternoons and you can hit balls and, I'll hit a couple wedges here and there if my body allows me to. Um, and, and she's she's been starting to take horseback riding lessons, and that was kind of my thing that I asked her what she wanted to do. And she it was either a choice between dance, gymnastics, and, and horseback riding, and she chose horseback riding. So I take her to that one day every week. So it's, it's kind of, for me, it's getting back a lot of time that I missed with, with one, my oldest daughter, because 
she's obviously four and, and we didn't make the decision till she was four years old. So I missed a lot of it, a lot of the stuff as she was growing up. So I'm trying to re-experience that with the youngest, but also get time back that I lost with our oldest. Being able to take her horseback riding one day a week now, but if she sticks with it, it'll probably be a lot more than that. Uh, and, and being able to take her golfing, that sounds like a pretty good, uh, pretty good start to a new era in life, I think. Yeah, no, I, yesterday I just seeing her, the smile, she learned how to trot yesterday. And as soon as she started to trot, she's bouncing in the saddle and she's just giggling like crazy. And I videoed it and I've probably watched that video no less than 20 times. Just that sheer, the, the, the kid excitement, the joy, it, it actually it brought me to tears a little bit because I've, I've missed that. And, and I feel bad that I, I didn't have more time with her as she was growing, as she was young, young, but she's still young. Heck, she's only four years old. So I, I, I look forward to many years to come. And, and it, it, it's even got me rethinking how, how I approach things as a superintendent and talking with more friends and, and how they balance their work-life schedule that if someday down the road some type of treatment or a cure comes for FSH and, and I feel good and, and healthy and I, I get back in the game, I'm definitely going to take a complete different approach than what I did when I took over Briarwood. And I, I think some of it, too, you get a superintendent job when you're 28 years old, you're gung-ho. You want to do everything you can to make that place better. Get, show those, show the membership or the golfing public that you're, you're the right guy for the job. So you're always, you're always there. You're, not make, you're trying not to make mistakes. But it, it, as a good friend of mine once said, if you're not killing grass, you're not trying hard enough. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely opened my eyes a little bit to, to how to approach things differently. At the top of the podcast, I think I used the term your retirement from the industry. Granted, it would probably require some sort of large-scale treatment for FSH, but if, if that comes around medically, you, you could see yourself returning to the industry in some way, maybe not a superintendent, but you'd be back on the course. You know what, as, as much as I, I just love being on a golf course, so I, it's, it's hard, to me, hard for me to picture myself being away the rest of my life um and granted the kids are going to get older they're going to get in school they're going to have their own lives that it may not be for 10 or 12 years or something like that i don't know um but the nice thing is there's there's a lot of promising research that's been coming out in the last couple years for for treatments for fsh and i've actually i've given my body up as I, i call myself a lab rat that I've been flying to Rochester, New York to, to participate in clinical trials and stuff like that to just try and, and help progress this because I ultimately, I would love to see a treatment for myself, but the biggest thing for me is there's a 50% chance that my kids have it. Hmm. So I, I just, I, I look at my girls and I, I don't want them to have to go through some of the crap that I've had to. So it, that's kind of my focus is try to do anything that I can to, to progress things and, and hopefully that if if someday down the road we end up getting a diagnosis for one of the kids that there's there's a treatment available right away that can 
never diminish their life. They can just keep doing what they want to do, and they don't have to, they don't have to worry about a thing. How long have you been going up to Rochester for those research treatments? I started, what was it? Was that June of 2018? Wow. And I went up there every two months for a year. Things have, things have really quieted down and all the treatments or the, the trial stuff with COVID because, one, people coming into hospitals and people getting on planes and stuff. But I've, I've put my name out there for many other trials that once they get going for, for me to get in, in and there's, there's one there. They, they, yeah, sorry. They do some here in Kansas city. So that's only a three and a half hour drive. So I'm just looking at anywhere possible that I can get to, to, to just help progress things. And you started a nonprofit not too long ago. I think it was within what, about the last two, three years, the turf tank foundation based on your nickname. And before we went onto the, the record for the podcast, you'd mentioned that, yeah, because of the pandemic, everything's kind of slowed down a little bit. But, I mean, you've raised tens of thousands of dollars for muscular dystrophy research, even beyond donating your body to, to research here. Uh, once everything kind of picks back up again, you see Turf Tank Foundation kind of revving back up uh, to what it was doing while you were still in Chicagoland? Yeah, that's ultimately our goal. Um, our hope was this year to do a golf outing, but obviously with COVID, there's been so many limitations as to what can go on and on, on a golf course and in a clubhouse. So we just kind of put a pause on that. And unfortunately, a lot of the charity things that we did last year was the inaugural FSH Society uh, walk, walk and roll in Chicago that we participated in right now. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. It's going to be more of a virtual thing. Uh, we participated in an MDA walk in Chicago since 2016, I think, was the first year that we participated in it. And they, the MDA already announced that they're not going to do an actual walk. It's going to be some type of virtual event. So we'll start. I've, I've put a couple things out on social media to start trying to gain some some funds and, and donations and stuff to help support the cause. But I understand there's a lot of people that are in tough spots right now. They're, they're uncertain where their careers are going to be and everything else. So as much as I'd love for them to donate to our cause, I completely get that they're trying to make ends meet for their family and, and everything else. But once this all clears and, and now that I have more time that I can dedicate to the foundation itself, I look to I look to try to do some more stuff, and Karen's got some good friends down here in Northwest Arkansas that she went to West Point with, and one of them I've I've had a couple conversations with that uh, he would like to help me out with the foundation, see if we can do some type of golf event here in Northwest Arkansas as well, and my goal is always to do one back in Chicago, and tap into somewhat of the network that I have there, whether it be members from Briarwood, whether it be fellow superintendents, just the, the golf industry, just to, just to try to do something to gain a little bit more support. And as it all comes down, all research needs money. And that's the one baffling thing that I found out with starting the foundation and talking with the MDA and the 
the FSH more about is there's so many promising things that make it through like stage one, but never make it through stage two because the funding's not there. And that is, that's just defeating to know that people live their lives with not only muscular dystrophy, but MS, whether it be Crohn's disease, whether it be cancer, that there's probably some type of treatment that's sitting out there that just never made it all the way because funding wasn't there for it. So that's, if I can do a little bit to help push that along, then I, I, I feel like I've, I've done a little bit more of my part, but can always do more. And that was, that was kind of the whole premise with starting the Turf Tank Foundation, which I actually started as I laid in bed after back surgery in February 2018. I just, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a nonprofit because we'd always done the MBA walk, which any money that we gained or that we that we donated, it, it's it's a big umbrella that that money gets distributed under, and there is really no way to kind of put it directly to what I have. So that was kind of my premise to start the start the Turf Tank Foundation was to gain funds within ourselves and then be able to distribute directly to fasciosacral dystrophy research. So that was kind of how all that began and, and kind of where we're at right now. But I, I've, got, I've got high hopes for where we can go, and I want to start use my time to start reaching out to some corporate friends and everything else to just try to get some annual kind of sponsorship donations, whatever you want to call it, to just to just keep things pushing along because really all that we've done for the most part is I've my golf the old golf pro from Briarwood he's given me the ability to order shirts through his account so I get them at a discounted price and we get the Turf Tank Foundation logo put on them and then I've, I've had so much support from fellow industry people superintendents salesmen stuff like that that they'll they'll say hey I'd like to get a shirt and I just say just donate what you can whether it's 10 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever, usually like to cover the cost of the shirt, which is usually about $40. And then I'll send them a shirt. They usually get a sticker. And, and that's, that's been really good for us. And then really our drive for the MDA walk and the FSH walk and roll. Like last year, I think we gave each organization seven grand a piece. And I think uh, over the last, since 2016, we've probably donated – I think we're right at about $45,000 to muscular dystrophy research. Wow. I didn't realize it was that high now. So, yeah, so that's kind of, that's where I'm like, okay, that's good. But the superintendent side of me is like, we could always do better. <laughs> you're, you're never, you're never completely satisfied. I remember reading a tweet the other day from Matt Gorley and, and he's like, yeah. I'm never 100% satisfied with course conditions, but I'm always 100% satisfied in the effort that my crew gives. And and that's kind of the same thing. I'm never, I, I, I'm, I'm never 100% satisfied with what we donate, but I'm 100% satisfied with the people that are willing to give give money to us to to help us along. And that's uh, theturftankfoundation.org. If people want to just donate out of the blue right now, not that you're working formally on anything, but. You know, always, yep. always taking money for for the cause. Yep, exactly. I feel like, again, like you said, you became a superintendent at twenty eight, 
and held that job for 12 years. And given the history at Briarwood where the club takes care of people and if, if you love it and you're good at your job, you can be there for a long time. I think you had what you had eight guys on your crew, eight folks on your crew who'd been there for more than 30 years. You had one who retired at 53 years with the same, with the club. I mean, you would have been there for, for decades to come probably if not for, for what has, what has happened uh, muscularly to you. But for someone who became a superintendent so young, who, who was so driven, I feel like this could be a heck of a second act for you moving forward once everything settles down and, and you kind of move into a new life and a new drive and career here in Arkansas. I hope so. <laughs> Before I let you go, what else do you want to do? Again, once everything settles down, you've got certain parts of life squared away, the girls' schooling, uh, Aaron's position, you're recharging mentally and physically. Uh, by the end of 2020 or, or into 2021, whenever life just starts to ramp back up, you'd, you'd kind of mentioned what you were doing. Ideally, at this time next year, you've been in Arkansas for a year and a half. What do you want to have up and running? What do you want to be accomplishing? What do you want to be doing? How do you want to be spending your days? God, you really put, you really put me on the spot there. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> to, to, be, to be honest with you, Matt, I, I don't even know. I, at, right now, I'm just taking every day as it comes because I, I, I'm just not used to this life. I'm, I, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm used to like waking up at 3.30 and going to the golf course and, and, and doing that. And that's like I, I keep telling my wife, I think that's the hardest part is is I've been ingrained in that life for so long and to just kind of on, not really on a whim, but just very short time, make a decision to just kind of walk away. And, and now it's, it's just, my, my goal is, I guess, to just spend as much time that I can with, with my girls and let them know that I'm trying to be the best dad that I can. And not knowing where this disease will go, to know that I took full advantage of the time that I had, if it does get severe and puts me in a position where I can't walk or I can't use my arms or whatever it might be. And, and that's, that's the hard thing about this disease is there's so many unknowns about it. Um, research has, has, has gotten to know a lot more about it, but... When I was diagnosed, I looked at the doctor. I'm like, all right, well, then what's the progression? And he looks at me. He's like, I wish I could tell you, but everybody's different. He's like, you may not get worse the rest of your life, but you could end up in a wheelchair too. And as I've gotten to know more people with the disease, and I don't know if you read the story, Morgan Hoffman, who's on the PGA Tour, he was diagnosed with FSH was it three years ago. I want to say, and it, it was kind of, and, and I've heard so many stories where it's, it just turns out to be a fluke where you notice things aren't right. You go to a doctor and they're like, oh, well, I think it's this. You go to another doctor. I think it's this. And then all of a sudden you end up in a doctor's office and the bombshell just drops. And you're like, wait a minute, you don't want to believe it. And then ultimately you got to go through all the testing. But I just, right now I'm just taking every day as it comes and, I hope in a, a year from now, 
my physical health is a lot better because I've really focused the last couple months here on working out. I can't really say working out, but doing like resistance band, like training and yoga and stuff. And I found that that's really helped me um, with flexibility because before I getting up early in the morning, one, I didn't want to get out of bed. So the last thing I was going to do is get out of bed and start stretching and, and trying to do a workout. And then by the time I got home, I was just too exhausted. So I, I, I realized how bad I had just let myself go between the disease and between the hours at work that my, my focus is to kind of get some of that back. And so I, I'm, I'm more able-bodied and more mentally capable of, of adjusting to different things. And, and like I said, just enjoying the, the life that I have right now with the kids because I just, who knows where things will go. And I think we, we've all learned from some instance or another, you just, with life, you just, you just never know. And, and I think sometimes we, we take life for granted. And I think healthy people do that a lot or that they just, they just take, they just take life as it is. And, and they don't really realize what they have in front of them. And like I said earlier, and, and I'm kind of getting a little emotional right now, but I truly miss the golf course and it's, it's been, it's been a hard transition, but I know where I'm at is the right thing for me and my family and my kids. And I can't thank everybody that's reached out to me and given me the support that I have. And I do look forward to that someday in 10 years or 12 years that I could step foot back on a golf course and, and be the director of grounds or be the superintendent or heck, just be the guy mowing rough that mows over the irrigation box and shits and plead ignorance <laughs> because and say, I don't know what that was, <laughs> but uh, I do, I do hope at some point to be back on a golf course, but for, for now I'm just, taking it day by day and enjoying watching my top dressing get watered in and mow the grass down here in northwest Arkansas and ride around with the kids in the Jeep with the top off. I feel like you're going to have the nicest acre of turf for miles around in, in the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I was just noodling around the other day on, on YouTube, and I stumbled across this group. They're called Lawn Tools. And they're, like, showing these videos of top dress in their yard and doing all these things. And he was mowing his, he was mowing his yard with the GM-1000. And he's talking about trying to figure out a way to uh, get the common Bermuda to stand up a little better so he could get, get the seed heads mowed off. So I sent him a quick message, and I, and I, and I attached, I think it's the turf trainer, the, the little carpet that you attach to the front bucket. I sent him a link to that, and I said, hey, try this. This might be able to help you. And I, I just kind of threw in a couple things that I've been doing. Come to find out, these guys live no more than probably 12 miles away from me. And they're like, oh, we're going to have to have you come over because they do all these crazy videos. They, they actually painted a GM-1000 with neon green lights that light up in the black lights. So he's got videos of him out mowing his grass, and he's wrapped in, like, 
uh, glow sticks and his mowers glowing in the black light and stuff like that. So I got, I think I have a ways to go to catch up with him, but I'm trying to do my best to have a nice yard. So. Well, maybe you'll become a YouTube star as well if you <laughs> get hooked up with them. We'll see. I'd be happy to share any information I can with them. Justin, I hope you get back onto the golf course at some point, and I hope there is some therapy, some advancement in the years to come uh, on FSH in particular and, and muscular dystrophy in general. But for the time being, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for you, and I'm glad to hear that. I know it's not been a perfect, easy transition, but I'm very happy for you in, in these first five and a half months uh, of life after turf, at least for the time being. Thank you. And I sit here and I'm petting my dog while you say that. And I almost feel worse for her because she doesn't have the golf course to run on anymore. <laughs> she doesn't have the exercise. Yeah, she kind of looks at me at, at days with those long eyes, and I'm like, oh, why do you got to do this to me, pup? <laughs> but, no, I, I, I thank you for, uh, for for bringing me on and, and sharing my story. And like I said earlier, I, I thank so many of, of my friends that I've gained throughout this industry. And I'm not going to call them colleagues. I'm not going to call them. They're, they're, they're truly friends. And, and so many people have reached out to me and – given me well wishes and told me if I need anything to don't hesitate getting in contact with them. So many guys have donated and, and now they're, they're sporting shirts with the turf tank foundation logo on them. So, uh, thank you to everybody. And, and thank you guys for everything you do to advance the industry and, and help us continue to learn because as we all know, this, the golf course is an evolving thing. And, and the more research and the, and, and the publications that you guys do, not only make us better people, but make us better superintendents as well. Well, it's nice to hear, but there'd be no GCI without superintendents and, and the industry in general. So we owe you guys a lot of thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> My thanks again to Justin Van Landuit, longtime superintendent at Briarwood Country Club on the North Shore of Chicagoland, for taking the time and sharing his story here on Off the Course. My thanks to our sponsor, AquaAid Solutions, for keeping Off the Course on the air. And my thanks to all of you for listening to Off the Course and the rest of the shows on the Superintendent Radio Network. We have new episodes just about every Tuesday. Next week, there will be a new episode of Beyond the Page, diving a little deeper into our June issue, A Spring of Sacrifice and Solidarity. I'll also have a conversation about your time to shine with our columnist, Tim Morrigan. And there might be a little talk about Caddyshack, the 40th anniversary of that movie, coming up next month. In two weeks, Guy Cipriano will be back with a new episode of Tartan Talks and conversations about golf course architecture. In three weeks, Guy and I will be back with the 17th episode of Greens with Envy. And surprise, surprise, we will both have been to a course by the time that episode airs. I have a couple of trips scheduled for this week to courses. Those are my first trips to golf courses in three months, and I am very excited to be back on the turf and to talk turf.
Thank you so much for taking the time and listening. I will catch up with all of you again next week.